Spirit of Christ, open our ears. Open our eyes to see your kingdom today. Give us minds and hearts not just hungry for information, but that groan inwardly and long for transformation. Make your home among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. And then he almost asks this question to himself, what then should we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he answers that with, nothing in the stinking universe. It's my interpretation there. Nothing at all. Friends, we're beginning a three and a half month series on beginnings and endings on creation and new creation. And hopefully by next week, uh, because we're not doing story night and Friday night, we'll get a chance to sleep. We're going to have like a little placard, which means card, but with a plot in front of it. So it's a placard uh, that has uh, basically the order of the different, like the topics we're covering. Um, but essentially, we're going to walk through about seven weeks on creation. What's, like, why? Why is there anything? And, and what is it? And, and what do we not get out of creation stories? You know, what, is, what are the creation stories not meant to tell us? And what are they meant to tell us? And what does it mean to have the image of God? And what is the fall all about? And what, is it, what does it look like that creation isn't just a static one-time event, but is an ongoing dynamic reality in the life of Scripture? Then we're going to talk about new creation. So, uh, end times and eschatology and w- Jesus's return and final judgment. We're going to talk about what is hell and how to get there. I know some of you are only here for that, so you will answer that question. What is heaven? <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> you may be here for that. Maybe we can disabuse you of that. Maybe today that happens. Uh, what is heaven and how to get there? Um, how, uh, what, is the final, what is the final judgment? And, uh, is that good news or should we be terrified? Um, what, what, what is the eternal state of those uh, who uh, go to hell? And is there, is there an easy answer or a right answer about that? Um, what, 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 do, what do these words mean, rapture, the beast, end times? What, what, is it, what does it cost us if we misunderstand or misapply these things? So we're going to talk about that. And I'll just say this as a little um, precursor to the sermon series. In the preaching moment, I'm, I've wasted about three minutes now. I've got about 20 minutes to proclaim good news to us. In the teachings that happen during the week, we'll be able to really go into detail on this stuff. So um, I encourage you to, to make it to those teachings or listen to them afterward. So why are we doing this? Well, we're, depart- we're, not, we're departing from the lectionary and we're, we're creating lectionary readings, four, four readings. Don't tell the bishop. No, he's in, he's in support of it. Uh, uh, Creating like four readings that hang together, the Old Testament, New Testament, Gospel, and Psalm, because we feel like it's important, because the story we live in determines how we live. If we get the beginning of the story wrong, we don't know how to live here. If we get the end of the story wrong, we don't know where we're going, how we're living. We miss who God is and who we are and what creation is and how to actually live. So today, friends... 
on the first week of the sermon series, we proclaim the good news that God is love. Full stop. No disclaimers, no footnotes, no buts, no ifs, no ands, no accepts, no alsos. God is love, full stop. From beginning to end, God reveals He is love, and He does it by sharing His presence and His power with us. The God with us is a God of love, full stop. And all creation waits in longing for all y'all to get it, to live from that love and for that love in that love today. God is love, full stop. Uh, you're, not, you're not officially, this is part of the uh, church planning playbook that they give us when you decide to plant a church, that you're not a church plant officially until you've told a story that comes from either the Sixth Sense or the Matrix movies. And uh, so today, friends, we put our big boy pants on, our big girl pants on. We become a, a full-grown church plant. In the movie, The Sixth Sense. <laughs> If you haven't seen the movie yet, it's, uh, that's on you. It's 1999, it came out. It's a great movie, but it's about time. The movie opens with Dr. Malcolm Crow coming home from a date with his wife, and he walks in the bathroom, and one of his old patients, Vincent, is there. Vincent is a patient that he tried to help, wasn't very successful in helping, had some mental issues, and we see Vincent shoot Dr. Crow, injures him. Six months later, Dr. Crow is assigned to a new patient named Cole played by Haley Joel Osment. And Cole has some of the same symptoms as Vincent. He, he hallucinates. And so Cole's uh, antipathy is that he sees dead people, right? I see dead people. I see them all the time, and they don't know they're dead. It's a really famous line from the movie. So Crow starts helping, Dr. Crow starts helping Cole. Uh, we'll just call him Malcolm, because Crow and Cole sound a lot like Malcolm starts helping Cole. But as, uh, he's living increasingly estranged from his wife. They don't talk. They, there's, there's a tension, palpable tension between them. Of course, uh, as you know, the story hinges upon your belief that Malcolm, when he gets shot, gets better and has a bad marriage. But there's this pivotal moment in the movie when Malcolm realizes that when he got shot, he actually died. And the entire movie has been He's a ghost that Cole sees. And there's this, there's this moment, you guys remember the moment where Malcolm replays all the things that have been happening and, and things start making sense to him. The moment is when his wife's watching a, a wedding video and Malcolm comes home and sees her asleep and he's talking to her and she's talking back asleep and she lets go of her, uh, her hand lets go and his, the wedding ring, his wedding ring rolls across the floor and he realizes he's not wearing it. And then all these pieces come back in of like, I'm, he's like, oh man, I'm dead. I, I, don't, I didn't know that part of the story earlier on. But as he knows that story, like everything kind of makes, begins to make sense up to that point. Uh, it's a brilliant storytelling. By the way, the guy who bought the script for Disney for this movie did so without telling anybody. He paid like $3 million for it, which is a lot of money for a first-time uh, you know, M. Night Shyamalan was a first-time writer-director, and he bought the script and promised Shyamalan he could direct it, and Disney freaked out, fired the guy, sold the script to Spyglass, 
uh, and then the guy looks like he's a, he's a champ. Because it was a great story. And the reason why it was a great story is because this kind of thing happens to us all the time. My friend Brad um, just found his biological dad after searching for him for almost 50 years. He was raised by a single mom, and he, um, she was incredibly abusive. Verbally, emotionally, um, sexually. He was subjected to all kinds of abuse as a kid, and he grew up with this gnawing, aching pain of fatherlessness and a mother who would not protect and care for him and provide for him. So Brad's story, the beginning of Brad's story was this aching lack and abuse. Abandonment from his dad and abuse from his mom. Searching for his dad. Finally, in November, makes contacts with some of his, finds out who his dad is. Makes contacts with some half-brothers and sisters and some of his biological dad's relatives. Uh, buys a plane ticket. He's going to fly to Florida to meet his dad between Christmas and New Year. The day before he gets on the plane, his dad dies. And he calls me distraught. Like, I, this feels like the, the cruelest joke ever. Not only am I fatherless, but when I find my father, I can't even meet him until he dies. And, I, you know, I'm on the phone with Brad, and my heart's breaking. Um, and I just, I just weep with him. He ends up taking the trip meeting with his relatives, his half-brothers and sisters, and the picture of his life shifts. You see, his dad made his mom look like Mother Teresa. His dad was an alcoholic and abusive. After talking with his brothers and sisters and talking with his half-siblings, he went from being resentful and bitter that he never met his dad to being grateful and thankful that he had it. Where there once was a pain of abandonment, now he had a different beginning of his story, which was more protection. I don't know if this has ever happened to you in your life, where you had a beginning that shifted and changed your perspective on the present. Friends, that's what we're hoping to do in this sermon series is to reframe what we've heard and thought about our beginning and about our ending because it changes the way we live here and now. The good news today is that from the beginning, God is love, full stop. No footnotes, no disclaimers, no ifs, ands, buts, excepts, no alsos. God is love, full stop, from the beginning. And that love is demonstrated in his presence and power with us. And today, friends, all creation groans, longs for God's kids to live in that love today. Right today. So God's love is revealed by his presence and power. Two points to start with P. We, now we're officially a church plant. Six cents and alliterated sermon notes points. The story about God from the beginning is him willing and wanting to be present with us. 
we're going to confront and name an alternate story in this sermon series. I can't do it today. This is why we're taking 14 weeks to do it. But there's an alternate story that God is a God not of love but of control. Perfect control. And God's creation and his presence in that creation demands sort of this loyalty, fealty, submission, like reckon with my control. Um, but I think that's, uh, we would say that's not sufficient to describe the God of love. That God is love. We'll talk more about this on Tuesday night. But if God equals power, if God equals control, equals power, is a sub-biblical picture of God. That a more faithful picture of God is revealed in Jesus is God equals love equals power. God's love determines what his control lives like. His control doesn't determine what his love lives like. It's another way to say that. God is love, so his presence then isn't about making sure everything happens exactly the way he wants it. His presence is about sharing. It's an emptying, self-emptying presence. It's about including and giving. It's about kenosis and about sacrifice from beginning to end. So the creation then is about God creating a place for him to inhabit and dwell. We'll talk about how cre the, created, the creation narrative is about God creating his temple, which is the universe, inside of his presence to dwell. This is why when Adam and Eve blow it, his first question isn't, how did you, why did you offend my holiness by your disobedience? His question rather is, where did you go? Relationally, you violated the conditions of my presence here. This is why the tabernacle and the law and the temple all through Israel up to Jesus who is named Emmanuel, which doesn't mean you must bow before my authority. Emmanuel means God with us. His presence, it's all about God's presence being in the particular places and creating a people who can bear and honor his presence. This is why Paul, when he gets to the end of this, this passage in Romans, he is beside himself, just like, he's like just going crazy. He's almost... He's almost out of his mind just glorifying God because of his love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And the end of the story is about God's dwelling place being with man. That there's a place for God to be with us. Because that is a demonstration and embodiment of his love. God is love, full stop. No disclaimers, no footnotes, no accepts, buts, ands, alsos. God is love full stop, and that love is demonstrated, communicated in his presence and power with us. From the beginning until the end, love full stop. Today, creation still groans for God's kids to live in that love, to live from it and to live for it right here today. His presence communicates that love, but also his power, also his power. The story is about God willing and wanting to empower us to be his partners, not to overpower us to be his minions. Big difference there. You know what a minion is? A little yellow guy. 
They're funny. <laughs> um, and they're actually the minions in Despicable Me aren't great minions because they often don't do the bidding of their master, right? But a good minion does the bidding of his master. There's a story out there that God is mostly concerned with your conformity to his norm. Right? This story doesn't intend to do this, but this story often elevates God's justice above God's love so that God's justice is what he's most concerned about. And offending his justice is the primary fuel that moves the biblical story along. So God must figure out a way to, to deal with his offended justice, and Jesus is the solution for that. So God's power in that story overwhelms and subdues and dominates and controls. But what if God is love? Full stop. Then God's power looks different. God's power looks like someone who will lay down his life for his friends. God's power then lifts up and dignifies and honors and frees and liberates and empowers. Yeah. The biblical story is one of God seeking to empower as many people who can possibly stand it. Adam and Eve. Fill the earth and subdue it. Adam, name some animals. And you just imagine God cringing at some of the names Adam came up with, I'm sure. But there's freedom there. God can't wait to give away his dominion to those who look like him. This is, this is what the curse is about. We'll talk about this. The curse isn't punishment for you breaking a rule. The curse is the implications of you not living into your authority. Now all these places of your vocation are going to be frustrated. I've given you this power to represent me, and now in those places, you are going to struggle and wrestle and, and feel futile. Israel, bear my name as a light to the Gentiles. Jesus, greater works will you do than this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, creation now waits, longs for like the revelation of God's kids, people that look like God, people that can bear his authority in the world. Creation is like, come on! Already, how much longer must we wait for the created purpose of God who is loved to share his presence and power to be fully realized, to be revealed in the world? And how will that happen? Paul says, the love of God revealed in Jesus that will not be stopped. God is love full stop. No disclaimers, no footnotes, no ifs, ands, buts, accepts, no also's. God is love full stop, and that love is communicated by him giving us his presence and power. And today, friends, creation still groans and longs for all of us to get that. To live from love, towards love, in love today. So this changes everything, friends. Much like Malcolm in his story, he wakes up and realizes that he's already been dead. Much like Brad in his story, he wakes up and realized that maybe being fatherless was a protection too. We can wake up and realize that we have all the love we need. That God's presence and power is what this entire thing is about. That Jesus comes not to uh, prove something to God or do something so that God can unleash his love, but as a demonstration and expression of that love, 
for laying down his life, emptying himself, coming into our humanity and our flesh, redeeming what that looks like, living in God's presence, living in God's power, doing miracles, being the meeting place between God and man, being the temple himself, and then inviting us into that. So we have to get the beginning of the story right. We have to get... So a couple implications for this. And then we're going to respond to that, that God is love. <laughs> um, creation and new creation. So using placeholders, like the Genesis narrative, which we'll talk about how creation is much more than just the first couple chapters of Genesis. Um, and when we start listening to the Psalms and Job and even other places that talk about creation, it actually messes with our understanding of creation a little bit. It's not as neat and tidy. There's like this, there's like this image of God wrestling with primordial powers that happens in the Psalms that we don't get in Genesis 1 and 2. So we'll talk about that. But friends, we have to, we have to sort of take a deep breath and, and, and realize that like some things need to die about the, how we see the beginning of the story. So, so God didn't write Genesis 1 and 2 uh, to disprove secular naturalists who want to say evolution is true. That is not why God wrote Genesis 1 and 2. That's not why that's in our scripture. So if, we use, so if we use Genesis 1 and 2 primarily as a defense against science, y'all, God doesn't hate science. I'm sorry if I'm the first person to tell you that. But maybe, like somebody has to be the first person to say that. Maybe I'm not. That'd be great. God doesn't hate science. He created science. So anything that we observe about our natural world isn't in conflict with our story. Now, that's not saying everything we can say about it. It doesn't mean all our observations are true. But it does mean that our interpretations, it does mean that uh, none of our kids will leave the table, go to college, and think they have a choice to make between science or Christianity. Not on my watch. Because God is love. <laughs> it's about his presence and power. Also, friends, there's this disembodied, I mean, and there's like 800 other mis mistakes we could talk about creation, but I've only got three minutes left. New creation as well, friends, isn't primarily about getting as many people onto the life raft as possible because this is the late great planet Earth and it's all going down in flames in 1988. Oop, I mean 1992. Oop, I mean 2006, Right? Um, we, have to talk, we have to talk about what do the images in Revelation mean about the final judgment? What does it mean that the warrior Jesus doesn't have a sword in his hand, but it's in his mouth? What does it mean that the warrior Jesus has, bloods, has, has, has robes stained with blood before he enters battle? What does that mean? What does it mean that the gates of heaven are never shut? What does that mean? What does it mean that Paul references Corinthians baptizing 
live people for dead people and doesn't tell them to stop. What does that mean? What does it mean that we've got this notion that um, if you don't receive Jesus in this life before you die, you will suffer for eternity, consciously, never perishing. And God loves that idea. And you will be in heaven knowing that's happening and you will praise God for it. That we've accepted that as the only legitimate way to read a really complicated group of texts about what happens to people after they die. What does it mean that that's often used as the primary impulse to get people into the kingdom? Where are you going? If you die tomorrow, what, do you know what will happen to you? My job is to scare the spit out of you so that you'll want to follow Jesus and not suffer. Like, what does it mean that there's really no apostolic Jesus or apostles preaching that gospel so others will come in? There are like, hey, if you keep doing that, things will not end well for you. But God is love. And perfect love drives out fear. What does it mean that fire is a purifying agent? All through scripture, what does that mean? We have to get the story right. That God is love, full stop. From beginning to end, he doesn't change. There's no disclaimers, asterisks, footnotes, sidebars, excursies, none. God is love, full stop. And that love is demonstrated in his presence and power with us in the garden, with us in New Jerusalem, and with us in Jesus today. And today, friends, all creation groans for God's kids to be revealed, to live in that love today. Friends, where do you need to call on this love, this, this trajectory towards new creation, this making all things new, this summing up of all things in Jesus so that all things are redeemed, restored, and reconciled, that nothing is wasted or lost, that the fatherless are protected, that the dead rise, that the broken are healed, that the sick are redeemed. Where do you need to call on that love today in your life right now? We have a prayer in our booklet here as a way to um, participate, to respond to good news. Uh, friends, uh, real quick, um, the, the good news is a declaration of proclamation. It's, it's, it's a call to action. That's what good news is. It's a call to action. It's not interesting philosophical ramblings. That's a lecture. On Tuesday night, I'll do some teaching. You may have some action points from that, but really that's just about like answering questions, getting clear on things. Right? This is not that. This is declaration for this so we can participate in God's grace. So we can say, yes, lay hold of it by faith. So this prayer here, God, we thank you that you're making us a people who can enjoy your presence and power for eternity. We respond to this good news by giving thanks and affirming this truth over us. Yeah? And then we petition, we call on your love to bring about new creation in my or in our blank. This could be something personally you're dealing with. 
where this love needs to rewrite your story. Your story needs a new beginning and ending, friends. Maybe this is something that we're corporately dealing with as a church, and maybe this is something that you just want to pray for our world uh, because our world needs a new beginning and ending story. It's a mess these days. What is God's, what is God's spirit stirring in you? How, how is the spirit groaning beyond words stirring in you now to lay hold of your sonship and daughtership by praying for this love to be unleashed? Let's spend some time doing that as a way to respond to this. And I'll start us off. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're making us a people who can enjoy your presence and power for eternity. We call on your love to bring about new creation in our families, for everyone who feels fatherless or motherless, for children's hearts to be warm towards their parents and parents' hearts to be warm towards their children. Lord, in your mercy.